See? Fun. Fun. We should have more fun. And that's what we're going to do tonight on The Wages of Cinema. Welcome, I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And, uh, I don't know if we just had fun. I don't know what you would call that. Well, we're going to find that out, because yeah. this is another case of Dr. Andrew and Dr. Jack's case files. Yes. Where we look at we some of the big disasters in cinema history, and we give you the prognosis. We're, we're cracking open that case and finding everything that made that case so case-like. Draining the pus. Yes, draining the pus. Finding... No, no, that's too gross. Never mind. Yeah, look, uh, how about like all the worms that are still eating at? Let's not get. Let's not carry it away. All right. All right. Uh, but so, this is uh, this is a movie that actually we. Technically, well, I guess more so I talked about uh, way back in the beginning of The Wages of Cinema. It might have been episode three or four. I can't quite remember, but it's one of the, it might be episode four. It was one of our reading episodes. Yes, one of our very first required reading episodes because one of my favorite movie books is a book called Final Cut, uh, not to be confused with the editing software, so... We're not getting into technical mumbo. Chapter mumbo one of the Final Cut Manual. <laughs> Chapter one Installing. of the Final Cut Manual. Don't do what Michael Cimino does. Chapter <laughs> two. Make sure you have an editor. But the point is, we actually watched Heaven's Gate together. This is the first time I've seen it. Yeah. It's Jack it, has seen it before. I had seen it once before. It's been about six years, so it had been a while. Hey, that's about how long this movie is. <laughs> Are, are you sure we're not still watching the movie? And Possibly. Like, you know, like in Annie Hall when, like, part of Diane Keaton kind of drifts out of her body and sits on, like, the recliner while she and Woody Allen are having, like, sex and she's not really into it and her real self is sitting on the chair. We're, like, We're of... just projections of ourselves <laughs> sitting, in the, sitting in your living room? Yeah, exactly. We're just kind of projections and the movie will never end. It's... Quite possibly. This is the movie that doesn't end. It just goes on and on, my friend. All so right, where do we thing. start with this? Uh, where do we start? Uh, Heaven's Gate, directed by Michael Cimino. Let's get that out of the way. 1980. All right. United Artists. So if you weren't in 1980 going to see uh, Empire Strikes Back or Flash Gordon or any other film that came out in, the 19, in 1980, <laughs> well, uh, you, were, you might have seen this. Although, from its box uh, office, I don't think you would have. No. No, 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 Andrew. Absolutely not. No, this, uh, the thing that happened with this movie was, uh, just a little bit of backstory. Uh, you know, uh, originally this movie was budgeted at something like, I don't know, maybe $10 million, $11 million. And over the course of the production, it ballooned up to a reported $44 million. That is more than quadruple its original yes. budget. And remember, this is money, this is 1979 money. So, I mean, this is back when most I movies were budgeted at, like, you know, $10 million. Like, big regular movies. Empire Strikes Back almost was seen as a borderline debacle because that went to $30 million. Hmm. But, um, obviously, you could see where that money went to. Right. Um, so, Heaven's Gate, the thing about it is, you say, like, well, 1980, but actually, the movie originally opened for one week. Uh, it was going to have, like, this special, like, kind of premiere engagement, because sometimes movies had this. They used to call it a roadshow experience. Um, oh, like, uh, like they just have with The Hateful Eight, if you were going to see it in its super wide format. Yeah. Yeah, basically like that. Um, 
Oh, I, I don't know if I had my mic on. My apologies. Um, okay, so actually, we're a little better now. My apologies if I was a little bit low there at first. If the conversation seemed a bit one-sided. Yeah, I, sorry about that. That was uh, my Why my does bad. Jack sound like he's in a saltine box? That's the <laughs> okay, so... All right, so it opened for one week. This was the cut that we watched, which was about three and a half to almost four hours long. Right. It's somewhere in that vicinity. But then Michael Cimino was the one who actually decided, okay, this isn't going to go over well. We got our first reviews. They're not very good. Let me take the movie back, and I will recut it. And then we can put it out again in a much more streamlined fashion. Um, And then summer of 1981, he put out a version that was two and a half hours. And that was the version that ended up bringing in only maybe a million two million dollars total box Ooh. office yeah that is called disaster oh well that's what the the new york times dubbed this movie and i i love calling things this term uh sometimes when i mean to emphasize it he, they called it an unqualified disaster <laughs> i love that term unqualified disaster you can feel the venom in that reporter's voice i'm not doing that mm. so yeah, where to start with this though? Aside from well, let's, uh, the we budget have a thing, quick, we could have a quick synopsis. Yes, yeah. this, this movie stars uh, Chris Christopherson as Jim. He's a wealthy man who goes out west. What he does out west, I'm not sure, but he gets he involved seems... in this sort of range war between uh, the ranchers who live in Wyoming who are trying to run their cattle ranching business and the well they're farmers and the, and the, yeah and the immigrants of eastern europe who are coming into the land and a lot of them are poor a lot of them are stealing cattle so yeah. the the cattle barons want to crack down on these rustlers and to do it they're going to hire a whole bunch of guns to kill a, uh, a large group of people who they suspect of stealing cattle yeah it becomes it's almost like the opposite of schindler's list instead of creating a list of people who will you know be saved this is a list of people who are going to die. Yeah. Um, a death list. And so th- it, the movie is the, is the build-up and the the occurrence of this sort of range war. Yeah. Um, and it's, So let's talk about maybe the cast. Yeah, well, this has quite a cast that Michael Cimino assembled. Um, now, it should also be noted, by the way, he, got, he was making this just coming off of The Deer Hunter. He now, from what I've read, he started. He was in pre-production before, like before he got the Oscar for best director. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the success so much went to his head. He was just already. I, my thinking is he was like, "Hey, I made this awesome movie, Deer Hunter. Now I'm gonna go even bigger." And that's where he gets, you know, he gets to nab Chris Christopherson, who was a. I guess he was pretty a pretty big star back in the seventies. I, I almost thought like. When I first saw the movie, maybe they could have gotten someone who was maybe bigger to justify the budget, but I guess it doesn't matter. Then you have Isabel Hooper, yeah. who is the, I hope I pronounced that right, it might be Hooper, uh, French actress. Uh, you might know her from The Piano Teacher. Um, she, she's in a lot of uh, French movies and pops up here and there in American movies. Uh, she plays the love interest, Elle. Right. Um, uh, which, which Chris- by the way, doesn't that translate as, to, as Elle is woman? I don't know. Another language. I don't and know then, French. And then you got Christopher. You got Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken as as Nick. Nate. Nate. Oh, Nate. I think his name was Nick. 
it, it, people got a little uh, a little grumbly towards the end, so it was hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> he plays Nate. He's he he. He wasn't he was an immigrant to the United States, but he yes. works for the he works for the cattle barons now. Right. Uh, and and he has quite and uh, also a good supporting cast here. We got uh, Sam Waterston as the head of the uh, what they call the association, Mister Law and Order himself. Yeah, Mister Law and Order playing a bad guy and uh, doing quite a job with it. He's so icy yeah. in this role. He's not in it as much as the others, but you know he's good. In that supporting role. Yeah. And then uh, Jeff Bridges is the head of this. He, he runs this tavern in town. Um, it's easy from a distance to mistake him and Chris Christopherson because they're both. They both have beards. They both have these giant beards. Yeah, they both have beards. They wear like these very distinctive hats. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bridges throughout the movie looks like he's very sad. He... Do you know what I mean? He looks like very sullen. He looks like he might be a little sick around the eyes. Like he maybe that was part of the intention. He's very low key in this. Yeah, he's not he's very big. Not, I mean, I do, you don't when you see Jeff Bridges, you're not expecting him to be the dude all the time. No, but in this one, he's he he doesn't seem to be. There's very little that's distinct about him, his performance, and his character. Yeah. You understand who he is. He just like runs the saloon, uh, but uh, what he does in the film and what per, part he serves in that. That's difficult for yeah. me to answer. Well, let's. Well, that not also, that he's bad. It's well, just really. Well, that folds it feels into like you could have gotten a lot of people to well, play that. Part. Well, that folds into some other characters. I mean, John Hurt also is in the movie. He, uh, they, he has maybe a little bit more of a backstory only because he shows up in the opening prologue of the movie, which is almost like its own short film. Almost. Um, but we'll talk about the merits of that prologue. Yeah, um, he plays somebody who's also in the association. Um and knows uh the Averill character right uh Jim Averill he and Chris Christopherson are, yeah. are friends and then there are, there are other people Brad sprinkled Dorf's about here He's... Brad Dourif is in there He's like a one of the foreigners I guess yeah oh and uh, who did we who did you spot uh well John Quinn no no Terry Quinn Terry, Terry O'Quinn is in it uh oh, Mickey Rourke Mickey Rourke yeah Mickey Rourke is Handsome in it Mickey Rourke by the way well well that's Mickey Rourke was you know. You know, he became a star for a reason. Women were like all over that for yeah. a while, and then he decided, uh, to "I don't take like drugs." Well, no, I don't like my face, so let me box too. Oh, that too. So drugs and boxing don't really go well together. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are other actors who maybe I've missed. Uh, I I actually spotted a guy who I, I I mentioned to you when we were watching it that um one of the gunmen in the, in the association has like a he has like this goatee and he looks very distinctive to me because he pops up as one of the main characters in Day of the Dead. Yeah. And he's this guy who his whole thing in Day of the Dead is he just repeatedly says Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And he's the cliched Irishman who's constantly drinking. <laughs> he was great in this film. He had to hold a gun and ride a train. There you go. Good That's, job. Yeah, good job there, guy. Um, I can't really think of too many other notable. Yeah, that's all I can think members. of. Too. I mean, but you know, hey, what what pr pretty solid cast. Yeah. Um, so this is obviously you know Chimino's scope here is all right. Let's take this story, which is supposedly based on true events. Now I know you hadn't really heard about this before. It's based on this thing that actually happened called the Johnson County Wars. Um, you could look it up. It's 
what happened then, though is and they go into this a little bit in the book final cut this thing did happen there was a dispute over land and uh some territory with these immigrants coming into areas in wyoming um but from what i've read also this veers a lot from the actual history like it takes some liberties to say the least like it was like because when you watch this movie something i occurred that occurred to me seeing it there's almost like this tone of like of conspiracy in a way that like it's not you know you wonder like hey how 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 are you allowed to kill all these people like 125 people and sam washington comic explains well it goes up to the governor and also it's approved by the president yeah why does the president care about this you can understand that people take the law into their own hands in the west because it's not the best organized Mm -hmm. or most lawful territory in the united states but it's uh it seems like there's a lot of collusion between different people in order to make this happen yeah now Now, whether or not that's possible is pretty much i think irrelevant to the plot of this. i guess the idea is to just make it completely lawless like these this association doesn't answer to anybody they're basically a giant armed militia um thank you second amendment uh uh, sorry i just had to point that out um but the thing is is that it it, you know, Chimino is taking a very dark, very grim view of history. The fact, and maybe some of it, rightfully so, the fact that America has, throughout its history, been hostile to immigrants. But it almost feels like he's pushing it so far, in a way. I didn't see that as I, I didn't see that as moving too far or too dark. It, I think it's basically just part of the setup. I mean, mm. something has to make this happen. And from the beginning, from the first act, we know that this is going to this is going to occur. Yeah. Now, now, th- I'm sorry. I think maybe since we're talking about the plot, let's talk about some of the weird things. I mean, we're eventually going to address the fact that this movie is three hours and two hundred and sixteen minutes. Yeah, you so do the math. Like three and a half hours. It's over three and a half hours. Right. Again, bordering on four. Um, now I don't know, I feel like he, Chimino actually restored the movie since then, maybe added one or two minutes, but it's not drastically different from the version we saw. Right. Uh, he might have just changed some things with the colors, but, um, the thing about seeing this movie again, again, it's a, it's a three and a half hour movie and really it focuses mostly on three characters. Yes. You know, you have Jim, you have Elle, and then you have Nate. Yeah. And aside from that, not too much development with any of the other characters. And it's a pretty big I, cast. I don't mind that too much. I mean, let me let me say this right off the bat. There are worse ways to spend three and a half hours. Oh, no, no, no. Don't I get me wrong. I'm not going to say it's re- bad either. I found this film very enjoyable. The thing that I take issue with right off the bat is that you have this grand story, this epic story about this range war which is going on in the west but the heart of the film is supposed to be this love triangle between nate jim and l yeah and who is she going to pick and and why does she do that yes now the problem is is that that those relationships are kind of weak yes oh that that too like chimino really favors broad strokes in this movie you know, whether it's yeah. with the immigrants, whether it's with development, 
Now, you say that, like, it's not so much a bad thing. Now, I feel like he gives a little, he gives enough, at least, for the actors to do, like, Bridges and John Hurt. But the group of immigrants are just kind of like this mass of people. And we're, and we're, and, you know, we talked about, like, for example, there's this, there's this really big set piece, which is pretty spectacularly mounted where like this the one guy this one fiddler player on roller skates is playing the fit the fiddle and then he gets everybody out onto this roller rink and there's this big roller rink sequence now it's spectacularly mounted and well shot and well executed well all that it's it's exciting it, and it looks really cool but but does it do anything to the story it does not advance the plot. no and you could have had this moment to maybe give us at least just one or two of the immigrants to latch onto. Like even Brad Dourif doesn't really become a character until like the second half of the movie. Yeah. That's when the plot finally gives him something to do. Yeah. Even though we aren't quite sure. And because of that though, by the time it gets to that big climactic war that happens between the people of this, uh, of, of this village or, you know, all these uh, cattle ranchers and the gunmen of the association, like i wish i could have cared a little bit more when occasionally chimino would focus in on somebody on somebody being killed yeah it just becomes like this big massive chaos without people to latch on to it's arguably the only two people you can latch on to are jeff bridges and brad dourif but we don't know that much about their characters as i said jeff bridges doesn't have much of a presence in this film no he he his presence is almost just kind of like i've just been drained of life (laughs) Although, I mean, he does become a participant in the battle. Yeah, he participates in the plot, but he doesn't stick out no. in the narrative. Also, Brad Dourif, like, he's supposed to be an immigrant. We don't know who he is in the community or what he's responsible for. Now, we do get an interesting idea of what this community is like. It's mostly immigrants bit. from Eastern Europe, probably Russia. Uh, some are, are definitely German. Yeah. Uh, but maybe um, Italian. A lot of places in between those two areas. Yeah, it's kind of like you, uh, you know, because at that time a lot of immigrants were coming into the country. Normally, I think what Chimino hoped would be kind of a hook in a way is that we usually think of immigrants as just going right into some of the cities, you know, New York, Boston, Chicago. But we don't really think about the immigrants really made their way out into the West and tried to make that area I mean, their certainly own. german and scandinavian immigrants made their way out to the midwest well they made out that out to sort of like minnesota but we don't really think about like wyoming or that area we usually I, I, or at least my impression was that usually had usually, the, usually you had usually had cowboys versus indians you Cow- had that cliche now we have cowboys versus immigrants yeah, well, I guess you could say in this story, maybe the other parallel or is, is this, that he... Would a better title of this movie have been Cowboys versus Aliens? Oh! No, of course not. But, no. You know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But uh, anyway, though, but going back to um, Christopherson Walken, I've kind of brought up when we were watching the movie Twilight. Oh. <laughs> As a joke, obviously, but... Let me just say this Love right Triangle. Let me just say say this. Better love story than Twilight. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I could write a better love story than Twilight, like, I'm with good. one hand, like, working by itself without no, without any knowledge of, you know, uh, you know what I mean. Like, I'm, I'm recording this podcast 
And like half my brain is focused on that, and the other half is focused on writing a love story. And by the end of this podcast, I will have written though, a better love story. Get a, we don't get a deep enough idea of these characters to really latch onto that love triangle. No, because we we do get the characters are very thinly drawn. You're right. It's hard to get. We but, understand that Jim and Nate are both in love with Elle. Yes, and you can understand that to and a certain L, extent. And they're L, both they're both very they're both interesting people. They uh, L is this very uh, beautiful woman who also has this personality, but we don't get a really we don't get much of what their relationship is to each other. Yeah, and I, I th- that you sense that they're rivals, but you don't know what shape that rivalry takes. Yeah, and her excuse, or I don't know if you could call it an excuse, but. You know, at first she appears to just be with Avril. Jim. Jim. Should I just call him Jim? Call him Jim. Yeah, my name is Jim, but most people call me Jim. Okay. Blazing so, Saddles reference. So, so all, right, all right, all right, all right. So, she's a prostitute. Right. Or she, she, I think she runs this little brothel. She runs a brothel. Yeah. And uh, when she later is having kind of like an, uh, a fight with uh, Jim, she says, you know, I never, you know, I always made him pay. Right. Nate. I guess as if as if to say, well, it was never that it was serious. Business. Yeah, it was business. But clearly, she must have feelings for Nate then, because he wants she he asks to marry her or take her away. And I never watching the movie again. It just struck me how weakly drawn L is. It's like, what's her motivation to go with Nate versus Jim? Yeah, I mean, she could. There are certainly things that you can say. I want to be with Nate because he is he's not going after this lost cause or he's not or he's a practical person or he's wealthy now and he's not going to get involved in anything now. Yeah. But she never seems to I that can be in our minds but she, we never get an idea of why she chooses why she chooses Nate over him over Jim. Yeah, I mean you have uh, the way that I, you... they have discussions about it. But it's all full of like rhetorical questions and these sort of evasive it, statements. This is going to sound strange, considering that Michael Chimio made this big—you know—he made this big sprawling epic. But he didn't. He was also a little lazy about certain things with writing characters. Like he didn't do the work of giving us some dimension. Like I brought up uh, another movie I brought up while watching this was Titanic. Which I know you said you think this is a better movie than Titanic. Well, it's a weird comparison. But I, go on. I would almost, I mean, it's hard to compare them because obviously they're doing different things, but I feel like as melodramatic as Titanic can get, there are certainly cheesy things about it. I feel like I get a better sense of where those characters are, you know, even well, though. Let's, let's think about a, another film with like, a, with like a love triangle. Like think about maybe like the Red Shoes. Do you remember that? Hmm, I let me give you an example. Oh, of, of what I'm, I'm trying about. to remember shoes, that. Like, what, the remind ball- me of the love triangle. There's the that. ballerina. There's her like writer slash composer boyfriend, and then there's like the, the the ballet director, and they all have relationships to each other. Like they're the both men are working on the ballet together. They're both in love with the woman, yeah. and she, you know if she goes with the director, she'll be able to she'll be able to be in ballet, and he'll keep her on in the company, and he'll. He'll yes. want her around, and if she goes with the other guy, she'll be with the guy she really likes, but she'll be blackballed from the ballet, basically. Yeah. So, you know, you understand what they're talking, what their motivations are, and what they want, and what happens if one of them chooses the other. But you don't get that sense in Heaven's Gate, because 
we don't understand what the what the advantages of choosing Jim or Nate are. It, there, it's a little oblique. It's yeah. it's 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 placed into like how do we see their relation? How do we see Jim and Elle's relationship here? They frolic about kind of half naked, which is cool. Oh, great, okay. But uh, I I think that Shimino thought that well, we can get we can get by with just the bare minimum and that would be fine. But yeah, this is supposed to be the heart of the movie, but yeah, there's not much heart to it. What he also tries to do, which I also don't think quite worked, uh, is that like, he tries to give moments. He stretches out a lot of moments between mm. characters. There's this one scene where, uh, um, like it's between, uh, Nate and L and uh, I, I think it's when he first takes her to his place, maybe, or it might be something like that. And he's like clearing the table for her. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this yeah. scene goes on for like five minutes, and they don't. And they're speak. not saying anything. They're just having like awkward little like awkward smiles. To yeah, each other like and... what is this supposed to do? Have your characters talk to each other. Give us something. Yeah. Like you can't I, just those... have characters look at each other. Now, if this was a book, then at least maybe you could... You could have some sort of inner monologue. Or you could have inner monologue. You could put more context. in here. Yeah. like So I think Chimino's thought was, okay, I'm making this big, epic, n sprawling novel of a movie. Okay, then you got to give us more to work with here, buddy. Like Now, granted, you know the other side is that he could have made it more... It might have become more maudlin. So maybe that's why he wanted to try to tamper down that. It could have been like a Gone with the Wind... Uh, well, whatever his motivations could have been, it doesn't. Excuse, they don't excuse the fact, no, the the, the flaws that are present again, in the real thing. Yeah, and the you know a lot of it. You, yeah, and then I also don't want to know Jim and Nate what their relationship to each other is. Right, uh, that's, what, that's what I mentioned. And well, well, not just like we were talking about. I mean, they clearly disagree about something, but it's never quite explained what the difference is. Well, also, I mean, they're on what, the opposite side of this range war potentially but there's never anything deeper than that there are lots of people who are on opposite sides of this range war. why are these two special you need like chimino need to give just a little bit more exposition that's why i said in a strange way he's a little bit lazy with parts of the script like for example we we only find out maybe in like a throwaway line why jim is not in the association like he's been apparently blackballed like he he shows up to their meeting where like the association decides to go with this death list idea and Sam Larson guys like, we're going ahead with the death list yeah <laughs> we're finally doing it see imagine if they had had that tone like because in the scene of that movie they're all just like we have to do this they're taking over our land like it's very grim but the way that you're doing it it was it's it's more like a scene out blazing saddles yes <laughs> well uh, there's a new sheriff rockridge who wants to kill him but here's the interesting thing i agree with you that chimino did he write this yeah okay he's lazy with the characters but the part where he clearly does all of his work is with the filmmaking the, the visuals with oh sure with you can feel like you're there I don't, I don't know exactly how to talk about this, but let me just talk to you about the thing that struck me the most. The production design? Yes, but it's especially apparent in the beginning when Jim gets off that train and yes. steps on, into the city because 
That city is gorgeous. Oh yeah, it's re- it's a full set on location in front of this big vista, and there are all these awesome looking life size buildings. Yeah, and what's also great about that is Jim's walking through the street just to go to the store, and there's so much noise around him because the city is so crowded. Like there are wagons heading by, there are horses going by, people are talking. It's just this constant war. It kind of makes it hard to hear what it makes it are claustrophobic. Saying. It's a little claustrophobic, but it's it's not that sort of claustrophobic, the sort of stuffy closed in claustrophobic. It's this constant Well, it's all this action. noise. Yeah. Like the th- like there's moments where characters are talking to each other, like uh, Jim goes in to buy some guns or something and yeah. he has some kind of interaction with a character or punches out somebody outside and it was hard to hear them, yeah. and I had the volume up pretty high, but it's like, do I need to put on subtitles for this? But I didn't mind that, because no, 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 I, no, no. I, it, I really I got appreciated what he was doing. The, the way that that it looked and sounded. It, sounded. it was so active, and that whole scene and the whole area was so detailed. He, yeah, that he, I, he establishes a real time and place that almost feels bigger than what it might have even looked like then yeah um it's like hyper real mm. do you know what i mean yeah it's like, i know what you mean it's like that well i think we also kind of brought up briefly uh blade runner and that feeling of yeah. like creating this very specific place a, a specific um, place and time yeah um i think because also nothing uh, because nothing about it feels stock well also scorsese i think kind of did that with gangs of new york mm. and interesting trivia by the way because of the failure of Heaven's Gate, that was when Scorsese, he wanted to make Gangs of New York back then. And it got shelved because United Artists said, no, no, we are not doing this again. We we already got screwed over. You, you, you put your, we already messed with one Italian who decided to go in over his head. Uh, <laughs> Jack can say that because he's Italian. I'm Italian. I, I love everybody. Uh he, uh, the, Roberto Benini impression. And then co- even when you get away that. from that city, you get to oh, the yeah. small, the, the immigrant town, and that that has detail. It too. doesn't feel like a stock western set where you just like have that main drag, and there are all these like, oh, there's the saloon. You can tell. The you can stable. tell they built everything. Yeah, they really down to like the inch calculated this area. It feels like even the mud and the dirt is authentic. Yeah. Um, dust that's being blown up by the way yeah it now here's a question does now obviously yeah you you i i enjoy that very much the how specific and detailed and um i I need to use this word again epic in scope everything is but is it so is almost stifling the way how serious the tone is i don't think so Hmm. i think it's the mood suited the look of the film, which is this very muted sort of, uh, everything's sort of this shade of tan or, or this sort of, uh, not sepia tone, but it's, it's, it's not a very colorful film. It, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting that there's a key line spoken by John Hurt at one point mm-hmm. when he and, uh, Jim are talking about this deathless thing and how Jim's like, well, you can't really do that. And John Hurt says, I guess, in principle, everything can be done. Yeah. And I feel like that was the ethos of this movie's production. <laughs> well, everything can be done. Uh, there's a famous thing, by the way, that whole scene that you're talking about where Jim first comes into town off the train and sees the whole huge thing. One of those buildings, he 
Chimino didn't like something about it, like the way that it was placed on the road after it had been built. And he demanded that the road be like raised and like rebuilt or something. Mm-hmm. And it costs like an extra million dollars just to do that. Jeez. Um, like watching this movie, you, I, I can tell Chimino is a good director. Yeah. He is. But it might almost be that he got so full of himself with this movie in a way. Here's the, here's the weird thing about this. Yeah. I mean, I spoke, I told this to you. I told this to your wife when she walked in. I said, this is a good movie. No, I, and I agree. It is good overall. Yes. The thing that I think makes this such a disaster is not necessarily just the fact that it was a flop. Yeah. It was all the stuff going on during production. But I feel like that maybe emotionally, in a way, works itself into the movie. How so? Just a little bit. Just like, there's a level of chaos at times to the movie. Like, when, uh, now some of that can be beneficial, but there's also like, it's just so dirty and crazy at times. Like when, Give me an example. Well, the char- when uh, Chris Christopherson finally reveals to the uh, the immigrants that the that the association has his death list and you know he could just do something as simple as give the list to somebody else and they could start like passing it around or telling other people but he reads it out loud name by name and everybody is going completely bananas over the names being read and everybody's freaking out as if we know these people by the way right that's the thing it's like maybe if there had been time to learn who certain characters are the weight of oh my god that person's gonna go like yeah and then you don't have to do all 125 just give us one or two going maybe going back to schindler's list for a second by the way like again is the sort of opposite of a movie about a list that (laughs) the list is life and another epic yeah another epic spielberg took some time actually to kind of let us in to see who some of these uh holocaust victims were uh, you got to at least kind of here and there, sprinkled about, learn who some of these people were. You got these little vignettes yes. about individuals. There are no vignettes about individuals, and that makes them almost this mass of people. As you said, broad strokes. Broad strokes. And I I don't know. It's hard to describe. I know you were just asking me to give an example. Maybe that's kind of an example. Also, the battle scenes, which... To be fair, they're they're magnificently mounted, right? Especially the second part of it, right? Uh, you know that was it's so it's brilliantly done, technically speaking, but it also feels like, man, they just threw everything into here, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we're we're just gonna shoot and shoot and shoot and then worry about it later. Apparently, I read that this battle sequence was was originally when they cut it together at first. It was the length of a movie itself. Oh, it was like 90 minutes. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, not that complicated. It's just they've surrounded these hired guns. They're yeah. moving up these platforms, these, sh- these shield th- things to shield them from the gunfire. Yeah. And they're just moving in on it. That's not very complicated. Yeah. Or and, he, he could have also, what Jamil could have done too, again, if he's taking liberties with history, which... He probably did. Everybody that's what, does that's what filmmakers yeah. do. But imagine if he had taken like a Magnificent Seven approach to this story. You have like the story about like these, uh, you know, this criminal association that 
are planning on killing all these people, you know, these immigrants. And, uh, uh, but then Chris Christopherson comes in (laughs) and trains all these people to become like better with guns. Well, that, that is the Magnificent Seven. That's the plot of the Magnificent Seven. (laughs) Well, it is. I don't think Chris, Chris, no. I don't think Michael Cimino was interested in making the no. Although it, it it is a similar premise, more or less. Slightly, it's I, just well, ultimately would we take the, it into a more realistic, more dramatic yeah, direction. Instead, the immigrants just decide, screw this, let's just take our guns and go after them. Right. They don't need to be trained; they just decide, let's go to war. But and then the thing is, when people die in the battles, mm-hmm. again, you don't feel anything because you don't know who, know who they are. I wanted to bring up something to you, which because this came up a little bit between us when we were watching the movie you were sometimes bringing up about if Sergio Leone had done this <laughs> if he had directed this scene it if is he a- had done that scene because obviously seeing parts of this movie I can't also I can't help but think of things like Once Upon a Time in the West right which also includes uh big, a very cynical view of the West against, big businesses against uh, the against little frontiersmen yeah and the hired guns who have to do it and the kind of real lines between evil suspenseful and... interactions between opposing characters yes yes yeah. exactly I mean, there are a lot of setups like that that could have been in a Sergio Leone film now it's not fair to say what if somebody else had directed this no. and then hold it against Michael no, Cimino well, yeah, nobody, well nobody else made movies supposed... like Leone yeah but I kept thinking about you know what what would this have been like which is I don't know yeah. I guess that's just the sort of Sergio Leone spaghetti western nerd part of me. Were there but, anything was were there any parts where you're like, well, this is excessive? It gets. Here's the weird thing. Isn't the prologue watching... kind of <laughs> excessive? Well, let's talk about the prologue because okay. at the end we also have an epilogue where, uh, which seems to be connected a little bit to the prologue, but it's difficult to tell what those two scenes, prologue and epilogue, have to do with the action of the main film. It might be thematic in some way, but the problem is, and now I've seen the movie a second time, I'm getting the sense Chimino wanted to communicate something with, like John Hurt is like the kind of orator of of Harvard, and he has to deliver this big speech to his classmates as they're graduating. And I'm guessing his speech was meant to signify some thematic things about how to treat your, how to live your life and what to do with it, and you know how to do it morally. Maybe Joseph Cotton, he's in this. He, he, Joseph Cotton what, has a little. That's he's the, the first essence of, of his appearance. He said, "How do how does the educated mind inter, uh, interact with the, with this? How how do cultured people interact with uncultured people?" Which you can read in the film as being. The relationship between the wealthy cattle barons and these immigrants. Yeah, and I mean, if maybe if there had been more focus on his speech, because uh, when he's trying to give this speech, you're getting like almost horseplay between the students or something. You know, that makes a little the, more sense now that you mention it, because his speech is is trying to make this point about how do you Harvard graduates interact with the other people in your world? Yes, and all these Harvard graduates are rich people. Which is, you know, which we have our power. There is a class in. distinction in this movie, right? For sure. And then John Hurt comes up and gives this speech, which is pretty frivolous and dependent on wordplay. Which and it's about not changing anything, and it's about not, 
and it, he doesn't have any serious message to convey. And he actually says that in the speech. Why uh, I didn't I don't want to make some sort of grand point. And yeah. I think maybe that has to. It, it, it's kind of a contrast because Joseph Cotton's character he's supposed to be talking about for lack of a better word yeah. or for lack of a better term making a difference yeah and then john hurt comes up and says ha, 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 funny speech but yeah but, but the thing is though when john you... hurt spends the rest of that film basically doing very little and even when he disagrees with the ranchers he just goes with them he does his character doesn't do much he just he's kind of given up he, yeah he's given up he's he's a drunkard even by the beginning of the film he's just sighing and shrugging and lamenting his life and i guess that chimino maybe thought he was supposed to be kind of like the comic relief of this movie it makes a little (laughs) more sense now that you bring it up now i can see more thematic uh similarities between the main body of the story and the prologue yeah but you could but you could say that's a flaw though for chimino because he doesn't he doesn't let us focus enough on that at the beginning. I almost feel distracted at the beginning of the movie because it's so big because there are all these people in this room. And it's a lavishly it's a decorated la- scene. It's a lavishly direct, directed scene and Joseph Cotton's speaking but he gets interrupted multiple times and it's like all these different things are going on. So unless you have like super laser-like focus Right. You may not get that meaning. And anyway, by you know, it's... Which is a little bit of the point, but again, it does get lost. Maybe part of what you're also saying with Leone, um, this is something that uh, a friend of mine brought up in his review on Letterboxd, uh, that some of the storytelling, the way we bring up this thing, it's like, you know, sometimes it's one thing to have a movie that moves kind of slowly, but if you have a movie that doesn't really move... Hmm. Because uh, sometimes scenes just kind of end here, and then the next scene kind of stops. A lot of scenes have that feeling where they feel like they're building something, but as soon as like they're in the middle of that, they cut. To the something. reading of the names yeah. was one. What purpose did that scene serve? Like again, that's... it's meant to show that the that now the townspeople know that you know that now now they know the iceberg hit the ship and the ship is sinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, to give it a metaphor, but. And we, as viewers, though, we don't learn anything from that scene that we didn't know before. Yeah. Even at the end of that scene, we still know there are all these hired killers coming to kill 125 people. Mm-hmm. And, okay, now these other characters know, and what's the point? Mm-hmm. Why, what is their plan? What do they do after this? And there's nothing. You know what it is? It's like, for all of the money and all the resources at Chimino's disposal, which he did use, Right. it's like... You need to still feel something in this movie. Like, even in those Leone movies, which are kind of tough, gritty, spaghetti westerns, like, you feel something when you watch Once Upon a Time in the West. You feel something for Charles Bronson's character, even though he's so stoic. Um, You feel something for the characters in the Dollars trilogy. Yeah. Even though they're not the deepest characters, you can identify with them and understand their point of view. They did enough of the work in the script. Yeah. I mean, even Duck, you sucker, has characters Which, you can relate to. Yeah. In, in in certain ways. Yeah, I um, again, I I can't fault the movie. Like, if it had won for like best cinematography or best production design at the Oscars, yeah. I would have been like, sure, 
Right. Yeah, right? I mean that's where ultimately the money shows up. Yeah, I it mean, didn't show up all in the script. Forty-four million dollars of it showed up <laughs> in those sets, in those locations, in those extras, in the extras and the action. Yeah, the action to be is spectacular. Again, I I gotta emphasize that if you're if you want if you want to watch a movie and get some of the most brutal battle scenes maybe ever filmed. No. Well, for the time, okay, maybe not. Obviously, compared to some like some of the things that we've seen like in since, right. like Gangs of, New- Gangs of New York is even a little bit more brutal than this. But right. um, but but some it, of those battle scenes do go on for a little too long. I there are lots of scenes in this one that just go on for too long. Yeah, um, like maybe it's almost like Chimino filmed himself into a corner and could only keep the pace as it was mm. in a way. That uh, does. That does feel like it because I don't. It's hard to say where you could have cut in this film. Maybe, yeah. maybe I could point to one or two scenes that Chimino could have cut, and the film would have been narratively and thematically well, untouched. Well, the cla- Well, the 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 line from uh, Pauline Kael that I've I've always kind of liked about this movie, and I emphasize again, I did like it. If you do want to check out this movie, go ahead and watch it. She once said in her in her initial review when this movie came out in that premiere engagement she said uh like it's not a question of what to cut out it's a question of what to keep in Mm. (laughs) like you know is it is it enough to have like a slow little dance between l and jim and like that empty roller rink like it's beautiful but what does it mean i even the roller skating scene doesn't advance the plot, but it's kind of worth keeping it's in cool. there because it looks cool. Oh, of course it looks cool. I mean, in a film like this, you have to have something to keep your attention. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, um, a couple little notes. Um, by the way, there was a, uh, um, the ASPCA. Mm-hmm. You know what they are? The, the, the they, 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 Society they animal... for Protection of Cats. Yeah, uh, cats. And America. <laughs> yeah, um, no, they, they, they now, um, any movie that has animals, they have to be there to monitor if everything's okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter if there's just one dog or a lot Some of animals. Spiders. Yeah, well, this is screw spiders. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't mind spiders as much. That's more Corey. Cool. Um, but the um, the horses in the battle scene, you might have mo- noticed it at one point, like I did. There's one point where it looks like a horse really got hurt. Maybe. Yeah, or at least a couple of times. And it was because of this movie that the ASPCA said that we have to monitor every single movie now that has animals. Hmm. Because horses actually got hurt or maybe even killed while the make- during the making of this movie. Yeah. And a horse shouldn't have to die just because Michael Chimino wants to do a movie like well, this. Well, you got to be responsible. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the chaos that's that I'm just talking the about. the ethics of working with animals in yeah. entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean... Unfortunately, yeah, Michael Cimino didn't, and his staff did not pay close enough attention to the yeah. safety of the of the animals on the set. Uh, a little story too. Uh, Brad Dourif talked about. He was at some party before the movie came out, the after it had been shot with uh, Michael Douglas, and there's some other directors there, and they were really upset because their films at United Artists couldn't get made because Heaven's Gate was taking up all this money. Yeah, <laughs> and Brad Dourif, to- Brad Dourif told Michael Cimino. Man, this is better be good, or they're gonna kill you. 
And in a way, and it's like, yeah, it's good. Well, especially, you know, you got to think that you put yourself into such a position, too, where you make something like The Deer Hunter, which is this, you know, also it's almost like an intimate epic, uh, which is a story about soldiers. It's, a, it's an and, epic of somebody's life, The Deer Hunter. Well, lives. You know, it's a group like these people who you know, we're small town blue collar workers and they go off to Vietnam and become really messed up right. and they each have to deal with it in their own way. American dream. Yeah. The American dream. If you ever want a theme for a movie, American dream. Wait, wh- <laughs> what's what movie is that? No, just the American. Oh, dream. the American dream. Okay. I thought you actually meant the <laughs> no, movie not, American dream. Maybe there's a movie called American dream. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Oh man. If it does this, it's probably just like a crappy low budget thing. Yeah, but um. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so let's. I don't know what what some final thoughts about this movie. Um, I still I still think that because there are so many amazing parts to the movie, like there are parts here where you could tell that Michael Cimino was really in control of his faculties as a director. Yeah, there 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 are shots where it's like, yeah, he was on today. Yeah, he was really on. He. Um, he 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 really had a sense of okay, I'm gonna do this battle scene, or I'm gonna have this shot, and it's gonna look like the best shot anybody ever made. You know, like he he tried to follow that ethos that Christopher Nolan once talked about that when a director is making a movie, like Christopher Nolan once said, you know, I may not like the movie, I may like the movie, but I want to see that the director thought he was making the best movie ever made. Mm. I want I want to see that passion, so I could see that passion. I just don't see all the good storytelling that would make me want to revisit this like a Godfather or like Once Upon a Time in America or one of these big epic movies that have a lot of characters and themes. But, you know, it's tough to do a movie like this. Here's the thing that I'm going to do my final thoughts. Uh, Here's the thing that I think really does Heaven's Gate in. It's got uh, the story... The story and the characters, which are supposed, and the elements of it, which are supposed to make us care about these people in these stories, are absent. Yeah, and that is a killing blow when you have a movie this long. Yeah, not it- just because you're sitting there in your theater or your living room watching this movie that takes three and a half hours, yeah. but because after you see it, you're never going to want to revisit it again, if- even if you're interested in what Chimino wanted to do in this scene or how he shot it, or even if you're like, what was this character's motivation or what were the themes you're going back to? You're not going to want to go back to it because you're not going to want to spend another afternoon watching Heaven's Gate. You, you, you feel drained by the end of it. Like, at least, again, say what you will about something like Titanic, but, you know, you already have those characters set up for the first half of the movie, so then by the time you get to that big ship like sinking into the water you can revisit that and just enjoy that on a technical level because at least you have something with the characters and even the very ending by the way we didn't even get to talk about the very end of this movie (laughs) that makes the least sense yeah what what was that i want a ship and i'm with a new woman well that's the epilogue and the epilogue is i don't understand because i don't know what the prologue and the epilogue were supposed to what was the thematic thing yeah. What was the thematic thread that connected that that started with that prologue, ran through the body of the story, and then connected to that epilogue? Yeah. Because it has something to do, I think, with wealth. Yeah. And it has something to do with 
with Jim's motivation throughout the film, but I don't understand it. It's, and I'm not, again, I use the word opaque as something is like something that, or maybe obtuse. It's something that's out there, but you can't grab a hold of it. Obscure. It yeah, obscure. No, well, any, any of those terms I think could apply. And the thing is, I'm not going to want to explore it again because I'm not going to want to spend another afternoon watching yeah. this. Now, that said, if somebody ever does like a documentary about like the Johnson County Wars, I might be interested in that. Yeah. I'd kind of be curious. It's an interesting to, concept. I'd kind of be curious to learn about what the real story was, how much Chimino exaggerated or took kind of out of context and what uh, really went down because that is a story that's worth telling. Um, you know, but. It's just this way. It's just so huge, and uh, yeah. And at some point, like I said, hopefully at some point in your life, if you ever check out the book Final Cut, it's it's fascinating not just for the making of Heaven's Gate, but also because it puts the whole studio into the context. So it fits into that sort of magical time in, in cinema. Yeah. Well, it also kind of marks that what a lot of people call the end of an era because. You have Heaven's Gate coming out in first November 1980 and 1981. United Arts gets bought by MGM, and then it becomes this different entity. It doesn't, you know, it, it like James Bond used to just be, really, you know, it was under United Artists, which was a, even though United Artists was very Hollywood, like they had things like the Rocky franchise and 007, it operated as itself. But then once it got bought by MGM, it it didn't have that special quality anymore of being really independent and giving filmmakers the kind of uh, leg up that they used to when during the 70s. So like a Scorsese or a Woody Allen couldn't really make it uh, in the 80s like they were before. And you're also talking about a time that's right after the birth of the blockbuster. Yeah, after the birth of a blockbuster where... Jones you know, like, and Star Wars yeah, and a movie like Heaven's Gate, it up. a movie like Heaven's Gate. I mean, even if the movie had not gone over budget, magic somehow magically, it still would have lost money. Yeah, uh, that's that's the really sad thing. Yeah, I mean, now again, maybe you could have boosted it by having somebody else. Uh, like I think they had Jane Fonda in mind originally for the female lead. Maybe but, eh, who knows. Um, oh, by the way, I should mention I like Christopher Walken a lot in the movie. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he he really plays this movie well, and I liked Isabel Hooper a little bit better than I did the first time I saw it. I the first time I saw the movie, I thought she was really miscast, and I just I thought she was really cold and didn't read her lines well. This time, I felt she worked a little better. Okay. So, if you have any thoughts about Evans Gate, if you've seen it, if you can explain. Anything about what the hell that ending is? Let me say one more thing. Oh, sorry. This is worth seeing once. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Yeah. So even if is, you're afraid, is, cinematically, this is not the disaster that it's made out to be. Everything around it is a disaster. But seeing it, if you've got an afternoon to spare, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. It'll engage you. It will not necessarily be great as a story, but still. It's something that it, you should consider seeing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah again, not it's, just it's, because of its reputation, though, because it is a decent film. It's a piece of film history, and it is a, and it's a western that. It's certainly it's not unwatchable. There are part again. It is too long. Yes. I think we can agree on that. 
<laughs> I don't mean to be a dead horse here. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, all right, I just left the room have, very cold. If you, if you... <laughs> my my apologies. I'm gonna leave that in, but email us at wagesofcinema at gmail dot com. Uh, if you have any thoughts on the book, Final Cut, uh, also email us. Uh, you can reach us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Uh, all Search for us all as The Wages of Cinema or The Wages of Cinema Podcast. Follow us. Uh, I always try to post some fun pictures or little goodies for you, uh, little trailers or little nuggets I, I try to find. And, uh, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we like to see you there. All right. And so... Uh... On behalf of the Wages of Cinema, I'm Andrew. I'm Jack. And the Wages of Cinema is death. It's uh, also the death of the blockbuster. Good night. Good night. <laughs>